Welcome to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. Your on-the-go bite of the food and beverage industry. Welcome, folks, to the Food and Drink Business Podcast. My name's Grant McCarran, and as ever, I'm joined by Kim Berry, the editor of Food and Drink Business and the host of this show. G'day, Kim. How are you doing today? Hi, Grant. I'm very well. And yourself? Yeah, I'm super. Thanks for asking, as the phrase goes. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So unscripted and natural. (laughs) (laughs) Very much. But Kim, as ever, I'm also very keen to uh, hear what we have. I believe we have a little bit of uh, industry news that's somewhat hot off the press. We do indeed. We have uh, some really exciting uh, research coming out of the Australian Beverages Council that we are uh, exclusively talking about today. Uh, we're going to be joined by CEO Jeff Parker. and But just first to give you a little bit of background, the Australian Beverages Council is the peak industry body that represents the non-alcoholic beverage industry in Australia. So, it covers beverage producers from all sizes, from small right up to the multinational operations. And collectively, its members produce more than 95% of the industry's volume in Australia. So, uh, you know, it's a it's a really important body for this part of the food and beverage sector. Non-alcoholic beverages cover exactly what you think. Uh, carbonated um, drinks, regular diet. Um, they cover energy drinks, sports drinks, bottled waters, Uh, They also cover fruit and vegetable juices, which those in the sector know have been um, in the limelight at the moment with the health star ratings, uh, re-evaluations and resettings. Uh, Cordials, iced teas or ready-to-drink coffees, flavoured milks and also flavoured plant milks. So, um, OzBev members contribute about $7 billion to the Australian economy and it employs around 46,000 people. So, as I was saying, the council is a really important voice in the food and beverage space and it's really great to have Jeff with us today, particularly in light of um, of this research that they're releasing. Hi, Jeff. Hi, Kim. Thanks for giving me this opportunity. Yeah, so this is a trend analysis from 1997 to 2018, looking at the sales of sugar-sweetened beverages in Australia. So has anything, I'm gathering that there hasn't been a a trend analysis of that scale done before? Yeah, absolutely, Kim. Um, We are really excited to be, I'm really excited and the Beverages Council is really excited to be with you uh, today to talk about this really exciting um, paper which has been released. And yes, we think it's a world first. Uh, we're confirming that, but we're really excited uh, because we think it paints a really, really clear picture on what's happening out there in consumer land uh, and um, highlights really the important role of the broad range of non-alcoholic drinks in the Australian diet. Mm. And so, what is what are some of the key what are some of the key findings? Yeah, look, I think uh, if I may, I might just go back a step before I talk about some of the key findings. And I guess um, what is really exciting is this concept of a portfolio renovation agenda, which has been happening within the drinks industry, and it hasn't just been happening for a couple of years. Uh, It's been happening for decades, and I guess if we think about portfolio renovation, it might sound like a bit of a buzz buzz term, but it's really how we think about the industry 
in Australia. And uh, as you mentioned, all of those wonderful, you know, categories of drinks that fall uh, under non-alcoholic drinks. And it's, it's not just about reformulation. Um, and it's not just about reformulate, reformulating existing recipes, um, but it's about new recipes and it's about new product development and it's about smaller pack sizes and it's about, you know, the industry complying with, you know, school canteen or workplace settings and it's about, you know, more low and no sugar uh, drinks in vending machines. And so what this, uh, what this study really highlights is that, that broader concept of uh, an industry undergoing a portfolio renovation. And as mentioned, it's got some really, really exciting uh, results as a part of that study. I really like that term as well, this sort of portfolio renovation in terms of you're not you're not throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You're actually looking at this this foundation of beverages that have you know that form the stable and then looking at ways that you can improve or change or add something completely new to that mix. And you're saying that that's been, you know, that's 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 a slow burn. You know, that's not just something we're seeing in the last sort of five to 10 years. Yeah, absolutely, Kim. And yeah, that, that portfolio renovation is, is, is multifaceted. Um, reformulation is important. Portion size, smaller pack sizes are important, but it's much broader than that. And yes, as you've uh, indicated, uh, it hasn't just been happening over the last couple of years. It isn't just about an industry that is, you know, um, you know, implementing sort of knee-jerk reactions. It's something which has been a, a slow burn, as you said, and it is something which has been happening for decades. And I guess outside of this research, even anecdotally, if you go into a supermarket aisle or a convenience store or a petrol station, whatever it might be, and you look at that drinks fridge, and even I look at that drinks fridge or that supermarket aisle, and I'm absolutely amazed at the, at the, at the variety and the choice that people have, which is a slow burn. We, we might not necessarily witness that expansion of that choice happening you know, over months or years, but I guess one of the really great things about this type of research uh, is it does go back and look at that 22-year sales trend analysis, sort of a longitudinal study, and it does indicate this you know, seismic shift that has been happening uh, over that period, uh, which is really exciting and, and I guess also to reaffirm some of those things we as an industry know are happening, but also to some of the things that we think have been happening out there in consumer land. So we funded the research. We'll be upfront about that. Um, what we did is we basically um, uh, provided a, a, an area within the industry that we wanted the researcher to go and have a look at, and that's ostensibly where our involvement ceased. Um, uh, we, unsurprisingly, industry often gets a little bit criticised for funding research. We are upfront that if anyone wants to replicate this study, we are more than welcome for that to happen. And if there are any results which are any way different to the results that this study shows, we'd, we'd be more than happy uh, to have a discussion about where those differences lie. And so this study, uh, as you mentioned, uh, looked at the period of 1997 to 2018. It looked at scan data, uh, which was AC Nielsen, um, then uh, became IRI data. 
um, and looked at what was happening out there in um, sales and if we think about perhaps sales as being a proxy for consumption, looked at what was happening out there um, over that period. Um, it, it is it, this this study, which was recently just just in the last couple of days, as a as a as a food and drink business exclusive. This study is a uh, in the journal, uh, the peer reviewed journal Nutrients, and and uh, I'm, I'm I'm sure you will have a link up on on your site. We'll we'll certainly have a link on our site that we encourage people to go and click on your site, um, have a look at the paper, um, and it's a really important paper because what it does is, and we think it's a really important important juncture in understanding the role of non-alcoholic drinks in the Australian diet because, um, as many of you you would know and, 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 and many of your audience would know, is that, uh, excuse the pun, but, you know, b- between national nutrition surveys, it, it's a long time in between drinks uh, in between those surveys. <laughs> and it, the, the last one we had was 2011-12. The one before that was 1995. You know, in a in in Australia, uh, that's completely too long between drinks. Again, the pun, uh, because consumer trends are shifting and they can shift relatively quickly, and industry can respond relatively quickly um, to those shifts. And you know, who would have thought? You know, a couple of years ago, even you know, only a couple of years ago, that you know, kombucha would be all the rage. <laughs> Day or that you know you could you know buy a twenty four pack of spring water five hundred mil for you know around about nine or ten dollars you know we just wouldn't have thought that 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 would have been a feature of the drinks industry even a couple of years or ago. Gut shots. Who would have thought of gut shots? Exactly. Who? It's it's a whole yeah. It's an interesting. Uh, there's been lots of interesting developments. So okay, so we're basically looking at an industry that has been undergoing this portfolio reformulation, renovation over that period of time. We're looking at um, consumer uh, data that has is probably is out of date. And you guys have put forward this study that's this longitudinal look at essentially the purchasing of, of beverages from over that period of time. Uh, so what are we seeing? What are the what are the takeaways? What what are the big differences from from 1997 to 2018. Yeah, and I guess you know what when we look at this paper, we think about um, what 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 did the I guess from a you know from a mind's eye perspective, what did the typical fridge look like in 1997 compared to you know a typical fridge in 2018, and they're vastly different. The fridge in 1997 had a lot more sugar sweetened beverages in it. Uh, the fridge of 2018 has ex- significantly less uh, sugar-sweetened beverages in it, but has more low and no sugar drinks in it, and also too has a lot more has a lot more bottled water. Um, what this study has shown is that again, I guess it's corroborating what we've been thinking. It's it's also it's also tying together those other really important data sources, which is the 1995 National Nutrition Survey, the 2011-12 uh, National Nutrition Survey, and now this piece of uh, research, which goes up until the period of 2018. And I guess at a really high level, that nine, that fridge in 1997 compared to the fridge in 2018 shows that there's been this fundamental shift away from sugar sweetened beverages in favour of low and no sugar varieties, including 
bottled water. And in, in actual fact, since 2015, uh, sales of low and no sugar um, drinks have uh, outstripped the sale of uh, regular sugar sweetened beverages. And, and what, that, what that tells us, I guess, from a public health or a government perspective, uh, is that people are making um, the, the right choice for them on that particular occasion and people are listening to the public health messages and people are going about, you know, doing something and, and, and they're hearing those messages around, you know, moderation and the importance of a balanced diet. And it, this, this study also shows an industry that is responsive and also responsible and is meeting, the, you know, the people's desire and, dare I say, demand uh, for greater choice. And, you know, one of your earlier comments is, you know, really, really important. This isn't about in any way uh, an industry, you know, le- leaving behind the regular sugar, sugar-sweetened drinks. It's about an industry providing, like I said, you know, more choice for consumers who are wanting greater choice, both those with sugar uh, and those with less sugar and also to those with no sugar. One of the big changes seems to be that the volume sales of non-SSBs have exceeded SSBs since 2015. So for six years, um, we're already seeing that those non-sugar sweetened beverages are exceeding, uh, exceeding those traditional sugared beverages. I think that m- would probably surprise a few people. Yeah, and um, we started to see this sort of shift away from regular sugar-sweetened beverages in favour of low and no sugar-sweetened drinks and uh, and water. And we started to see this um, coming out of the back of um, those couple of national nutrition surveys that I mentioned, the 1995 and then the 2011-12, and the Beverages Council commissioned CSIRO to do a secondary analysis of that national nutrition survey in 11-12. And what that did show, um, even back then, you know, albeit 10 years ago, what that did show is that, you know, um, both uh, children and uh, adults in between those two surveys, 1995, 2011, 12, in between those two surveys, both children and adults were drinking significantly less of sugar-sweetened drinks, um, flavoured waters as well, um, uh, but also too, uh, as you mentioned in your intro, uh, fruit and vegetable juices with no added sugar have also been in decline, which is a bit perplexing uh, given all of the great nutritional benefits that fruit and vegetable juice with no added sugar can provide to the diet. And we think just uh, in relation to fruit and um, uh, fruit juice in particular with no added sugar, but also vegetable juices, um, certainly fruit juices are being you know caught up in this you know perverse demonized of sugar that is you know well 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 documented well 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 discussed um, and unfortunately all of the really great stuff that is in a glass of juice with no added sugar be that fruit or vegetable has been completely forgotten um, and some are just focusing in on the sugar content which you know for the likes of fruit juice comes from the originating piece of fruit but yes from a from a from a high level this uh, paper showed as you mentioned that uh, sales of you know sugar sweetened beverages uh, ha- have now been surpassed by the sale of of, of non sugar sweetened beverages. That includes bottled water. Bottled water is a really important part of this picture, um, but that has uh, those uh, those two graphs, uh, those two the, the line of uh, in those two lines in that graph uh, crossed over in two thousand and fifteen. And um, over that time as well, from 1997 to 2018, 
um, the sugar from drinks uh, has decreased by 30% uh, per person um, over that time. And what that means in, in, you know, in real parlance is that uh, sugar has decreased by 127 grams per person uh, per year for each one of those 22 year from drinks. And that equates to around about 32 teaspoons per person per year. Sugar has come out of the diet. Uh, and again, just um, underscores that really, really important portfolio renovation that has been happening out there within the drinks industry, not just overnight, but over, you know, decades. And we think that that's, you know, a, a really, really important message to get out there and and to put those facts on the table. Well, how does that then correlate? Because, uh, there is still very much a public health message about the growing rates of obesity, and yet these figures are showing that people's sugar intake, particularly from beverages, I mean that's a sizable decline over that period of time. So that's an. It's interesting that that one of the main messages is still about um, you know reducing sugar content. It tends to be more about you know stop drinking soft drink <laughs> when it appears that a lot of people already are. Or they're choosing a low, you know, a diet soft drink or they're choosing a bottled water or they're, you know, they're, they're choosing one of the alternatives or they're also still, they're, well, not all, they're still potentially drinking those, those beverages but they're just not drinking them as often. So, if, if we're already seeing those reductions and that moderation within the beverage space, is it frustrating that so much of the sort of public health messaging still seems to be very much pointing uh, a finger at the beverage sector? Perhaps not frustrating, perhaps perplexing. And um, uh, what I guess what that what what this also underscores is that obesity is really complex um, and it's you know it's multifactorial. Um, there's you know dozens of uh, factors that can uh, influence and impact on um, person gaining weight and becoming overweight and becoming obese. But you know you're right. There does seem to be um, almost a you know contradictory graphs uh, that show the consumption of sugar sweetened beverages, the contribution of sugar in the diet from uh, uh, soft drinks. Uh, have been declining and have been declining for over 20 years, two decades. Uh, however, during that same time, the rates or the prevalence of overweight and obesity uh, has continued to rise. So what that, I guess, tells us, again, that obesity is complex. Um, drinking too many regular sugar-sweetened beverages, uh, uh, if you're not also expending that energy, uh, is not good for people. Um, you know, consuming too much alcohol without, you know, is not good for people. Consuming too many hamburgers uh, uh, is is also is so so it's complex. And um, soft drinks are so, consuming too much of just about anything uh, is not good. And not moving uh, enough is also not good. But what this tells us, and just jumping back to that eleven twelve National Nutrition Survey and that secondary analysis that we got CSIRO to do uh, to to dig deeper into that data, shows that uh, soft drinks can be a part of a bad diet, but are actually not um, unique drivers of a bad diet. So, as an example, um, soft drinks from a discretionary part of the diet perspective. Uh, we're actually, from an energy contribution, we're actually uh, around about eighth or ninth uh, for both children and adults from an energy contribution perspective. So that tells us that soft drinks can be a part of a bad diet, 
but they're not driving sort of that bad diet, that they can be a marker for a bad diet, but aren't driving uh, that bad diet. And I guess what this, what this study shows, again, it's corroborating what has happened previously in the 1995 and the 2011-12 uh, National Nutrition Survey. It's corroborating other independent uh, research, w- which is out there, which is which is shown that people are making you know smart choices. Industry is providing you know this really really broad range of choice for people to be able to make that that uh, those smart choices. Things like health star rating uh, are also important. You know, health star is one health star rating is one piece of the puzzle. The Australian Dietary Guidelines are one piece of the puzzle. Industry providing a really, really broad choice of drinks to suit everybody and every occasion is also an important part uh, of the puzzle. But people, are, when it comes to drinks, n- not, not looking at any other part of the diet, when it comes to drinks, soft drinks, uh, non-alcoholic drinks, people are making smarter choices and are uh, you know, clearly responding by consuming less regular sugar sweetened beverages and, and as a result consuming less sugar in their diet from soft drinks. Well, I think um, the, the study showed that the volume sale of um, non-sugar sweetened beverages increased from 48 to 88 litres a person and the largest contributor to that was was water, like unflavoured still waters, which rose, you know, a remarkable six to 48 litres per person. But I think, uh, you know, as we've been talking about, the takeaway from this really is that that people are changing their, cons- their, their consumption. Uh, and, I mean, this data, you know, is what hopefully another piece in that in that picture that you were just talking about, um, I mean, obviously, is there now some sort of pressure to to try and um, see those national, you know, a national nutritional survey done again? Like, or or is this something that they only do every ten years? Or yeah, look, I guess we wouldn't be the only sector. Um, that would be advocating for more regular national nutrition surveys. Uh, we know they're expensive. Uh, we know they're time-consuming. Um, we think, however, in uh, in a country like Australia where consumer trends, like many other developed um, markets, where consumer trends do change you know, pretty quickly and industry can respond um, j- just as quickly, uh, we think you know ten, ten, 10 years is is way too long. We know that the US, for example, uh, for example, they have their NHANE study, uh, which is a similar type of study, and they uh, regularly review uh, that study, that survey rather, every five years. That seems to be uh, around about the right the right time frame. Um, clearly, you know, we don't need to be doing these 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 surveys uh, every you know every year or couple of years, but five years sounds about right. We know that you know various states as well, and 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 state governments and and state health departments also do their own uh, their own look at what is happening out there from a uh, from a diet perspective or a or a physical activity perspective. But these big national studies. Are really really important for us to be able to, you know, get get a get get clarity around what is happening out there, and that is, I guess, also too one of the reasons why we did this paper because we didn't want to wait uh, for whenever the next national nutrition survey. There isn't currently any discussion around when the national when the next national nutrition survey is going to happen. We know that you know the beginnings of discussions around the review of the Australian Dietary Guidelines. 
We wanted to um, not wait uh, for that. We wanted to, you know, get in and have a look at what's happening out there in consumer land. Uh, and it's telling a really, really interesting picture. But as I mentioned, it's just, it's, it, it, it is corroborating uh, what we've been seeing within other independent, you know, sources of data, be those, the, those two national nutrition surveys that I've mentioned, but also to other independent research, which is also showing that those trends and those, those, those graphs uh, and the lines within those graphs are, from a public health perspective at least, heading in the right direction. It's really great to to um, to actually have some hard data that's backing up a lot of that anecdotal and and thought processes that or, or opinions out there. I I think that's a great place to to draw a line underneath. There's obviously going to be a lot more discussion around this as as we go along. Uh, there's that there always is, <laughs> but I really want to thank you for uh, joining us today. It's a really exciting bit of research showing just what Australian consumers are doing in terms of uh, you know moderating and taking charge of their own their own diet and their own beverage intake. And uh, great to talk to you. Thanks, Jeff. Yeah, thanks again, Kim, for the opportunity. Thanks, Jeff. Thanks, Kim. That was a a great discussion on a very interesting report and congratulations on uh, funding that research. Thank you very much. Uh, Always good to hear that uh, our sugar intake is dropping and hopefully we can find other ways to uh, combat everything else that's going on in the world just (laughs) as well. But uh, thank you everyone for joining us for this episode. We'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. But until then, have a great day. You've been listening to the Food and Drink Business Podcast, produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Food and Drink Business, owned and published by Yaffa Media. The views of the people featured on this podcast do not necessarily represent those of Food and Drink Business, Yaffa Media, or the guest's employer. The contents are copyright by Yaffa Media. If you wish to use any of this podcast's audio, please contact us via our website or send an email to editor at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You can subscribe to this podcast via your preferred platform and read all the latest news on Australia's food and beverage industry at foodanddrinkbusiness.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast.